verses 11 through 21 we want to read. Whether we get done or not tonight, we're going to get done with this chapter. I've just determined it where this series has uh, been very sporadic all this year here. It's about our eighth message on Wednesday nights in regards to Galatians, but they've been sporadic because of other things going on, of course, other speakers and so forth. But uh, Galatians, the Magna Carta of Christian liberty, the Reformation, the citadel of the evangelical faith, written in Macedonia in about A.D. 56. Of course, Paul is the human author. And um, we read about the struggle that took place. Chapter 2 is a long dissertation about the rehearsal of what took place in the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. And uh, this is our third part three now of uh, Freedom's Fight. We looked at Born Free from chapter 1. And Paul said, you better not preach any other gospel than that which we have preached unto you, lest you want to be accursed. Seven and, seven and eight, rather. And, but uh, we'll pick up the reading of verse number 11. I'm going to let you remain seated. And uh, I'm going to read the scripture, but I want you to follow along with me as I read so we can make comment. Paul is rehearsing what took place with at the Jerusalem Council again, and with Titus and Timothy, and of course with Peter, and he picks up the reading, and he, we're kind of picking it up in the middle of the, uh, the confrontation here, freedom's fight. But let's read the verses. It says, but when Peter was come to Antioch, now this is the, the head, this is the, if we could call it this way, the Rome or the Jerusalem of the Gentile church. The, this is the uh, starting point. What Pentecost was to Jerusalem Paul in Antioch, the church in Antioch was a great missionary church that Paul and Barnabas were sent out from. I withstood him, he withstood, that is, Peter to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, that's Peter did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the others dissembled, and other Jews dissembled likewise with him. That word dissembled, by the way, is the word hypocrisis. We get our word hypocrite from. We'll talk about it in a moment here as well. In so much that Barnabas, Paul had to be blown away by Barnabas, his dear friend, once his counselor, once his mentor in the faith, also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that the, they walked not according to Uprightly, according to the truth of the gospel, I have underlined in my Bible the truth of the gospel, and then I have a line over to verse number five. You see the truth of the gospel, same phrase. So when they, when I saw that they walked not according uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as the Jews do or do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. Now verse number 16 through verse 21 for the record is a great treatise, a great dissertation on, the, on five fundamentals of the faith. Notice what it says. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by, faith, by Christ, 
we ourselves are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am, in, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Start that again. Ready? Here we go. Ready? I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And verse 21 is obviously the last verse in the chapter, and it's also a summation statement. Statement. It kind of summarizes the, the, the whole thought of the two, these two chapters. Let's read them together. Ready? Here we go. Ready? We'll read 21 together. Ready? I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. I do not frustrate or pervert or pollute the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. We want to deal with this subject of freedom's fight. This is, our, again, our third message, and so let me just review very quickly for time's sake. We saw Roman number one. We have six progressive steps in freedom's fight. We saw the confrontation, verses one and two. We saw the consultation, that Paul received his revelation from Christ, and uh, he didn't want to talk to those that were not of reputation or those that were not mature believers in Christ. In fact, in fact, just glance at verse number four before we move on. I want to punctuate this point. It says, in that because of false brethren, that's the word pseudo-adelphos, uh, false brothers. There are people that claim to be Christians that are not. I will go a step further and say there are people that think they're Christians and they're not. I dare say there's many, many people in Christian churches and Baptist churches Church of Christ churches, congregational churches, Methodist churches, and on and on we could go. Catholic churches, Episcopalian, you name it, take your pick. They think they're Christian because they go to a Christian church. They're so fooled that they fooled themselves. They're false brethren. They're not, they've never been born again. Jesus said you must be born again. And so we see this confrontation, this consultation. Number three, we looked at the conflagration or the contest itself, and there was a fight on what exactly is salvation and how is salvation brokered and secured, and we won't go through that, the subpoints for time's sake. And then we looked at the confirmation or the, the contest one, verses six to 10. And I believe we finished this up last week. Let me just bullet point, uh, three bullet points for you real quickly. No saint of God takes second seat to any other saint of God. Paul was in no way inferior to Peter, James, or John. And you are in no way inferior to any other brother or sister in Christ if you are in Christ. Then uh, bullet point number two, verses seven to nine, God does call different servants to minister to different people in different ways. Now, Peter became the apostle to the, what ethnic group of people? No, Peter came to the Jews. One, one or two uh, came to the Jews, but Paul was to the, now you got it right, Gentiles. And so Paul was uh, to the Gentiles, Peter was to the Jews, and uh, Peter received the great white sheet vision in Acts chapter 10, by the way, for the record, and found out that God, what God has cleansed, let no man call uh, unholy or uncleansed, I'm paraphrasing. But we see this confirmation, and we see this uh, last bullet point on that third point here. I think we, we filled this in last week, did we not? Correct doctrine is never a substitute for Christian duty. It's one thing to have doctrine. I know when I'm thinking of a particular, 
particular group of people, and I'll just leave it unnamed and just in my head alone, and Lord knows who I'm thinking of. They're very good in their doctrine. They're Baptist. And they, they dot all their I's right, they cross all their T's right, but I suspect that they, I, I've just seen them in operation for 40-some years of my life, and they're all doctrine and no duty. No, uh, they don't help the poor, they don't help uh, the outcast and so forth, and they, they uh, well, that's my perception anyhow, enough said. I think, I think we got to verse number, or we got to, we finished up in verse number 11 last night, or rather last Wednesday. I want you to notice the con- contention continued. We say, what do you mean by that, preacher? The battle is won, verses 6 to 10. In other words, Jerusalem Council already had taken place. And if we would take the time to read all those 40-some verses, we find that the Peter and James and uh, they succumbed in the Jerusalem Council. They said, Peter, Paul, you're right. These Gentile Christians do not need to be circumcised in order to be right with God. They just need to uh, uh, take care of the poor. They need to live right. They, the gospel is all salvation by grace and through Christ alone. And so they, they believed that. And yet they fell back into, and we're going to get to chapter 3. I have to turn my page in my Bible. But they, they fall back into works legalism. The Bible says, verse, three, verse 1 of chapter 3, O foolish Galatians. You know, you can believe the truth, receive the truth, accept the truth, but then if you're not careful, you can, you can revert back to your old ways and your old lies and your own thought process on and not a biblical thought process in this case in regards to salvation by grace alone, how somebody's saved. And so the contention is continued. The Bible says, verse number 11, and we know this by the first word, the, the, but when Peter was come to Antioch. Now this is after the Jerusalem Council. Now he comes to this Gentile church, and they, they, they already came to the conclusion, no, you don't, men do not have to be circumcised in order to be right with God if you're a Gentile. And Peter came to the church, and uh, they had different dietary standards. We won't get funny here. I like to always get funny when we're talking about food. Uh, you know, some people don't eat. Some people in this room do not eat pork. You know, I, I, I pity you. So <laughs> I just have, I, 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 I'm having fun with you. I'm having fun with you. There I go again. You're probably, it's probably, you know, the other white meat the commercial says. There, there's some things that Jewish Christians didn't eat Old Testament law. Some things that Gentile Christians do eat. And uh, so Paul, Peter is now in a foreign, character, foreign territory. Rome, do as the Romans do. We looked at that as a subpoint for Roman number three. But uh, bullet point, just two bullet points. Number one, liberty is seldom purchased with one battle or one war. Did we look at this last week, by the way? Just help me out. I didn't put my, okay. Uh, quick 12-second history lesson. We fought the American War for Independence, 1775 to 1781, Declaration or the Peace Treaty signed in 1783. But then we fought a second war, a second revolutionary war, a second war for independence. It's called the War of 1812. And we fought it against our same, the same mother country, of course, England again. And uh, they started to invade upon our rights and our, our, 
there was something called impressment and so forth. They started to take our soldiers and they said, our, there's our sailors, they would impress our boats and they'd say, you've got to be in the, the king's army for two years. Impressment, they basically put them in slave trade for two years. We fought a war over it, a second war. Sometimes you've got to go back into battle. And sometimes, you know, people get straightened out in their doctrine and then they get messed up again. And this is what was happening with Peter, the great apostle. And then uh, bullet point number two, for time's sake, there's always a constant danger of drifting. Hebrews 2, verse number 1, the Bible says, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed uh, concerning, I can't quote it all of a sudden, I thought I could quote it. Hebrews 2, 1 says, therefore we ought to give the most earnest heed, almost there, to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. I preached a message several months ago. Now some of you might remember it. On Sunday night we preached on, on drifting, the dangers of drifting. And so there's always the constant danger of drifting, of falling away. You know, you get something down, you get a doctrine down, and then, you know, you start listening to wrong sources or you start getting confused and you start listening, getting in a different company and you start saying, well, wait a minute, maybe, maybe that isn't true. That's what's, what's happening here in verses 11 through 13. And it leads me to, uh, well, let's read verse 11 here again. Paul says, when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Our whole premise is there's some things worth fighting for. Sometimes, and we're seeing again in Venezuela, I touched, uh, uh, talked to Gypsy before the service, and sometimes you need to have war to have peace. Sometimes you need to stand up and fight. And I'm afraid that's what the Venezuelan people, all they, their guns were all taken away from them because they want to be a peaceful nation. Right. There's another story. Now they've got to fight with no guns. Pretty hard to do. And, uh, but sometimes you've got to stand up and fight, and some things are worth fighting for, some things are not worth fighting for. For individual freedom, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, it's worth fighting for. We said that as a country. We hold these truths to be self-evident. And I could quote it, and many of you can quote it in your head at least. Peter, you are... You are bastardizing, you are apostating from the faith in regards to the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be withstood to the face because you're withdrawing from these half-Christians, in your opinion, these, these Gentiles. Because here's what happened, verse number 12. Notice what the, the specifics. For before that certain came from James, the head of the church of Jerusalem, he did eat with the Gentiles. Peter was eating and fellowshipping with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. They, he, was with, he was with these Christians, these, these uh, Gentile Christians. But then when the Jewish Christians came along, Peter said, oh, no, I don't have anything to do with them. Now this is, this is, I don't know if you're following and you figure the New Testament analogies. Uh, I am, I say I am, I, want, I expect you to be too, but of course it needs to be, a lot of definition needs to be given in order to understand what an independent fundamental Baptist is. This is an independent fundamental Baptist church. 
one of the key words is it's independent. That means that we're, we're independent of all other churches. We're fundamental. It's a good word, not a bad word. But we, we read about, we hear about Islamic fundamentalists. That's not, that's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. We heard about fundamentalist Christians that hate people. That's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. Well, the word fundamental in itself is not a bad word. But with all that said, I, being an independent fundamental Baptist, I've seen myself in the mirror, so to speak, over the many years. And I realize that sometimes I get clouded in my vision. I would never say it, and I, I never say it out loud, and I never even think it in my heart, but the heart's deceitful. There's some things that I think, well, we do these things right. I'll give you one for example right now. We still have a Wednesday night church service. I'm not, I, I think that's good. I, you know, I think I would have got, I got an amen. Uh, now in Acts 5, they met, I think it's Acts 5, they met daily in the temple and from house to house. Uh, there's good churches that are now meeting on Tuesday nights and Thursday nights and they're having specialty groups and so forth. Nothing wrong with that. They're independent. They can do what they want. Maybe we should consider doing it. I'm not really considering doing it too much, but, but my point is we're all different and we don't need to separate one from another because somebody does it a little bit differently than we do it. We were at the nursing home service. So I have to, oh, I'm looking at that clock. I got to summarize. Um, we had a nursing home service today, and 95-year-old Helen was in the service. 95-year-old Helen is lifelong, was a member of Evangelical Baptist Church. She told me for 65 years. And uh, you know, I don't know who even know who Helen was, but uh, anyhow, that's another story. And uh, but uh, Evangelical Baptist Church does things a little bit different than we do, but we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're, we're, we, we can we can have fellowship and so forth. And, and that can be said for any number of churches uh, that I could talk about. I'm looking at that clock. We're going to finish this lesson here. So let's go on to verses 14 to 21. And I want you to write down the, fifth C, the sixth C word, if you would. The Christian New Testament doctrines confirmed. That's what 14, verses 14 through 21 is all about. Now, once upon a time, I, when I was a young Christian, I didn't understand this concept. Uh, I heard that we were, us Baptists, were New Testament Christians. And it kind of rubbed me the wrong way when I first heard it because I said, what do you mean we're New Testament Christians? We're, we're New and Old Testament Christians. We believe the whole Bible and all God's people said, we believe every, we, we, from Genesis 1-1 all the way to Revelation 22-21. So I didn't like the phrase. But then I understood the context of what they meant. And now I I understand we are New Testament Christians. I was reading in Samuel today, 2 Samuel, while David took the Amalekites and he put them under saws and axes and he, he, he pushed them over cliffs and he killed them. We don't do that to our enemies today. Like to sometimes, but we don't do that. that not for religious reasons, but we, we, don't do, we don't act that way. The Bible says, love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. We have a different, we're underneath a different dispensation. And we are under, and Paul, of course, is giving some revolutionary truth. It's called the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is revolutionary. And it's not Old Testament, it's New Testament. And so let's look at five bullet points, if we could, here. Verse 14, notice the first five fighting fundamentals, five things that are worth fighting for. And I'm looking at that clock, I've got about 12 minutes, so hang on. Verse 14, but when I saw, 
that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said, that's again Paul, unto Peter, before them all, he openly rebuked them, or rebuked Peter in front of other people. If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews do, why compelst thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Let me give you the point and we'll expound. Fundamental number one, the fight for the preservation of the unity in the church. Unity in the church. Fight for unity. That, that's an oxymoron, isn't it? Fight for unity. Fight to get along. Fight for peace. God never intended, and we still we have some of this going on in, even to this day. And I'm thinking in New York City right now, and there's a somewhat of a there's a fragment of Jewish believers in in Christ in New York City. I know Shalom Baptist Church. It's primarily a Jewish Baptist church. But God never meant for them to for there to be two churches, a Jewish church and a Gentile church. Yeah, I'm doing a quick survey. It's pretty safe to say everybody in our church is white. It's okay to be white. You're allowed to be white. It's okay. It's not a crime. But we don't have any black people tonight. Wish we did. But God doesn't want a white church and a black church. God doesn't want an Arab church and a Jewish church. A Jewish church and a Gentile church. No, Christ, we're all are one in Christ Jesus. Man, woman, rich or poor, rich or poor, bond or free, Jew or Gentile, all are one in Christ. And Paul and Peter, you're trying to separate. You're saying, oh, those Gentile Christians, they're, they're second-rate Christians at best, at very best. At worst, they might not even be Christians. Uh, I'm just giving something, some things, again, just that are pertinent to us here. And this is me. Some of you, we were Spike, and, uh, Spike was at the nursing home today, and he's singing, he's got his guitar, and he's singing Spike's songs. Now, you've got to understand, I got, I got, I'm being funny with you now for a second, I got purified from that when I went to Bible college. Because when I went to Bible college, I found out high, holy church music. And, uh, you know, I make jokes about this, but it's true. I love the great hymns of the faith. Come thou fount of every blessing. Holy, holy, holy. Rock of ages, cleft for me. I love those songs, and we still sing them. But I love, uh, have a little talk with Jesus, too. Uh, uh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Or that's uh, good examples. But the, the country songs, the southern gospel songs. And when I'm back in Ohio, I was in Ohio several times here in the last few months here. It's been a while. But... Uh, Ohio's a lot of country, and the churches are different in Ohio than they are in, in Connecticut, for the most part. In Tennessee, and I could go on and on and on, there's different flavors, and we have to learn to be accepting and work at having unity uh, with the brethren when they do things a little bit different than we do. And that, and I, I could I'd like to preach for about 10 more minutes, but all God's people said, amen. When somebody does something different than I, we do, if it's not unbiblical, God bless them. Learn to have unity. Unity is just as important and maybe more so important. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Many verses on unity where God says to, to dwell together in unity. Paul was so, so uh, wanting to have unity so bad he was willing to go to war over it. He was willing to fight for it. Pete, knock it off. Marty shot slain. Paul, Paul put him in his place. Let's work at having unity. 
He said, why do you compel the Gentiles to live after the Jews? So that's number one. Number two, uh, verses 15 and 16. For, I said I'm going to finish, I'm going to finish, so we're going to move. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but the, by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Let me give you the point and make it an illustration. The fact of justification by faith alone for salvation. Brother Jim is, uh, when he preaches here several times, he's done Sunday school class or he's preaching men's, he, lo- he loves the book of James. The Bible says faith without works is what? Death, being alone. Uh, Martin Luther, the Reformationist, uh, he had such a problem with James that he didn't think it was part of the scriptures. He didn't think it was part of the canon. He had a 65-book Bible. He didn't believe that James could have been inspired because he misunderstood it. But show me that faith by that works, James said. And faith, but faith without works is dead, and people don't know it. But as far as salvation is concerned, the fill-in-the-blank word again is the fact of justification by faith alone for salvation. A man is not justified by the works of the law. This is a verse, by the way, and uh, I've given the story many, many times. When I was wrestling as a 16, 17-year-old teenage boy, and I didn't know who was right. I was torn between the Assembly of God churches and the Baptist church, and I had no clue. They both were, seemed like wonderful people. But one church said you could lose your salvation. Another church said you were saved by grace and you could never lose it. And uh, I really went into this blindly, objectively. I said, I, what do I know? I'm just a teenage kid. I have no clue. And I began to study and read for over a period of about six months in my Bible. And I, I, kept, uh, I started to write down verses. And if my memory serves me correctly, and I think it does, the verses that drove the final nail in the coffin, proverbial coffin, the, nail, the, 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 the verses that did it for me finally were these verses right here. I remember when I came across Galatians 2.16. I said, look at that. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. I honestly remember reading that and thinking, I'm like, I just discovered something. I'm like, I'm probably like the only person maybe in, my, in Ohio that ever discovered this. This is, this is rich. I'm being facetious, of course. But I, I, I discovered a truth. And I kept reading. I said, yeah, I get it. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. I'm getting saved almost every night. I'm praying every day because I'm thinking I'm going to lose my salvation because every time I sinned, I think I lost my salvation. And I got to the end and I got to verse 21. I won't read it again for time's sake. But I remember it was at that point, this four, these verses, group of verses right here, 16 and 21. I got down on my knees again for the 100th, 700th time. I'm not really exaggerating, for the 400th time at least. I remember praying a prayer, and I said, Dear Lord Jesus, if I am not a Christian, right now, once and for all, I understand that you died for all my sins. I cannot add to it, I can't take away from it, that you alone are my salvation. You died on the cross for me, and you rose again the third day, and I receive you into my heart and life 
as my only hope of salvation. I got up from my knees. I have never, and I mean never, have I prayed that again. Because I, don't, I know I was saved. But you know what? I don't think I was saved at 16 or 17 years old when I prayed that prayer. I think I was saved as an 11-year-old boy that knew hardly nothing. And I just asked Jesus to come into my heart and save me because I didn't want to go to hell. I've told my story many times. But I got assurance of my salvation that night. And I got it from the Word of God. And so it's worth fighting for. I had somebody in my office a few months back. I've given several illustrations over it. And a religious person from a Christian church. I told the story. He didn't think I was saved. I don't think he's saved. We had a nice conversation, gentlemanly conversation, kind. And there was a filial love there. My heart went out to him. But he thought salvation was a bunch of things that you got to do, process. And I, I know that salvation is all in Christ. And I'm willing to divide over it because I want to unite. Does that make sense? I'm willing to go war over it because I want peace. Because Jesus is peace. And it's peace in Christ alone. And so, Roman, or number one, number two, number three, for time's sake, verse 17 says this, but while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. We still sin. This is Romans 7 here. We're, we're, we're saints, but we still sin. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. What then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, Romans 6, 1 says. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I may my, my, make myself a transgressor. When I sin as a believer in Christ, when you sin as a believer in Christ, you don't say, well, I'm going to keep the law. I'm going to, I'm going to get righteous. I'm going to get good again in order to atone for my sins. No. That's not how we atone for our sins. We atone for our sins by coming to Jesus Christ and say, plead the blood again, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, and he's faithful just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We come and we ask him to forgive us our sins. We cannot do our works righteousness in, in our own flesh. It's, we'll, we'll fail every time. Read the last half of Romans 7 for the second time. So important. So the, number three, freedom from the bondage to the law. Romans 10, 4, if you want another verse here. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. I am saved. Now, this is not blasphemy, but I'm saved even when I sin. I'm still saved. And you are too. If you're not, you never got saved. <laughs> you know, I've used my grandchildren 500 times. They're still my grandchildren, even though Henry Lincoln bumps me with his bony elbows. He's still my grandchildren. I still love him. It's not going to change. That's the way it is. Because uh, there's an unconditional love there. Number four. I've got two minutes. Verse 19. For I through the law am dead to the law. What part of dead don't you understand? Uh, that I might live unto God. In verse number 20. I am crucified with Christ. What part of crucifixion don't you understand? I'm dead in Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you have not memorized Galatians 2.20, it's your assignment this week. You must memorize, uh, I'm, in fact, I'm making it a law. Of Harvard, I'm teasing now. 
You should memorize Galatians 2.20 if you have not memorized this. I've quoted this verse a thousand times at least. And number, number four, fundamental faith number four, the faith that salvation is forever settled for those who are in Christ. I believe that salvation has nothing to do with and redeeming, getting redeemed by the bondage of the law. I believe that salvation is, number two, by faith alone. I had to emphasize that. In Christ. I believe that this unity of the gospel, this unity of the church is, is for all people, Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, bond and free. I believe it's all and forever settled in Jesus Christ. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. End of story. And you're in Christ when you call upon Christ to save you from your sins. And then verse 21, I do not frustrate. I like that word. Frustrate. I do not pervert. I do not complicate. I do not pollute. I do not add. I do not subtract. I do not pervert in any way. I do not pervert the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ... If we could have got righteousness any other way than Christ having to send his son to die for, Christ is dead in vain. Let me illustration, but for a fourth time back to Venezuela. If we could somehow get Venezuela to become free without having to send troops in and lose any of our soldiers, that would be a wonderful thing. But sometimes freedom isn't free. We may have to send our sails in. We may have to send in, we may have to have a military operation. I hope it doesn't come to that. But I hope if, I'd rather have, have that happen. I'd rather fight to save lives than, than lose lives. I'd rather fight for the gospel's sake that it's all, number five, it's all of grace. I've quoted it several times during the last couple of weeks, but it bears repeating. Grace, grace, marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. Grace said, help me out, I can't think of it. Freely, freely received, uh, I, I can't get it out. Uh, uh, marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. Grace said, we're going to sing it in a minute because I can't think what it is. So, so let's close your word of prayer here. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for grace. It is marvelous and it is infinite. It's all we need. Your grace is sufficient for us made perfect in weakness. Lord, we can't hope to atone for our sins by ourselves, by our own works righteousness. We must just run and plead the blood of Christ and get restored fellowship. Lord, some things are worth fighting for, and it's worth fighting for the purity and the preservation of the gospel of Christ. Pray dismiss thy blessing tonight, Lord. May we go away from here free tonight, Lord, free in Christ. And uh, li liberated, we pray. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What is that?